We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Time to analyze our Superflex Baseball Tournament Draft over at the FFPC that we did along with 11 Rotoviz Overtime listeners. And we're going to do that. And how we're going to use that is to see where we maybe made some mistakes, where other people maybe made some errors, what we can do to improve these drafts as we move forward. And Sean, hopefully one of these teams, hopefully our team is the, the team that takes home that $50,000 top prize from the FFPC. I, one, I mention this every time we talk about this, but one of my favorite drafts, $35 entry and um, just a, a really cool structure of the tournament, a really cool uh, you know, payout structure and things like that. So the payout structure, I guess, is only cool if you actually get paid out in the top places at the end. But that is the, the way with all these contests. But we drafted, as I mentioned, Sean, against the Rotoviz Overtime listeners, and it was a lot of fun. Those drafts have been released over the course of the last week or so. Very, very challenging room, and we'll talk about some of those challenges as we go through today's show. But as always, Sean, these drafts just absolutely massive amount of fun and a massive challenge. And I guess that's the key takeaway when it's all said and done is there's a lot easier draft rooms to draft against than the the OT draft rooms. There are, and yet I like these drafts that are very tight. I like the drafts even when... Other members are going to be using very similar rankings because it makes you prepare really well. It makes you come up with creative detours even before you start. And then also when you're on the clock, it forces you to work through the various structures that work in general and to really understand what the roster construction explorer is telling you. But then also to think through what adjustments you'll need to make based on this specific room. So, so many great things about drafting with the listeners. The number one thing is just that it's so much fun. We appreciate everyone who's part of the OT community. It's a chance for us to just have a good time with the gang by doing this room. And we're going to have the 125, the regular tournament as well, that listener league. We want to go back through and do a recap, even though obviously we've done multiple episodes on this draft because the recap helps us figure out what went well what went poorly what you would do differently and it helps you get ready for the next one 
And if you don't go through, have a good evaluation of your draft so you know exactly what the strengths and weaknesses were, then you don't learn, you don't get better, and you don't get to the point where your drafts are really tight. Now, we expect to be good right from the beginning because we have access to the Rotovis tools. We've got access to the Roster Construction Explorer. We've played in the past. We do our preparation. So you want to start from a pretty, I would say, high level, a pretty strong starting point. But then you want to keep getting better because it may be one of those drafts down the line where you run into a difficult question, but you have the answer because you've done the preparation, you've done the evaluation, and you make the right choice, and then you win the tournament. So this part is probably the most valuable of the whole thing. Column, start us off. Yeah, so we're going to jump into it. And for people watching over on the YouTube side of things, I'm going to bring up the screen here so we can share the board as we talk through it. And the way, Sean, I think probably... You know, we can go through ADP-wise, we can go through looking at the whole thing. I think maybe one of the better ways to go through it is to, do you want to recap our team first? Do we want to look at the bigger picture? Do we want to look at some of the challenges that we've had feedback from some of the drafters where they found some of the pain points, particularly at the tight end position? Which way do you want to go? I'll let you lead us. Well, Colin, take me through the first round here. And I think that this, I mean, this is where it all starts, right? And especially in a super Starts flex, in the first round, that is... <laughs> especially in Superflex, you have the situation where whether or not you have access to those top quarterbacks is such a big deal for what all the downstream effects are. And if we look at how the individual drafters handled those initial decisions, it really sets us up for understanding the rest of the draft. Yeah, so when this draft kicked off, we were in the 106, so we're trying to make some of the thoughts of where we would go. But the way that is obviously filtered is how... The players are drafted ahead of that sixth pick. So Jalen Hurts goes at the 101 a little earlier, but he's always in that conversation. So he's there. Patrick Mahomes is there. I guess the interesting one is Josh Allen at the 104, caused by Justin Jefferson at the 103. Then Justin Fields slightly earlier, and that meant Joe Burrow drops his way down to our selection. Justin Jefferson, we talked about this in our strategy show, Sean, from last week. It was a case that he is certainly, him and Jamar Chase are, the wide receiver one and two for 2023 that means that once you get past those quarterbacks they're right in that conversation along with travis kelsey obviously the tight end one heading into the season and a tight end premium format jefferson would have been in the conversation for us if we were kind of in the seventh spot i think you know go and get the guy that you want and we're going to talk about the drafter out of slot three you know i just think that slot slot three and slot 11 are very very fun drafts to look through based on the approach they took by you know avoiding the qb position in those early rounds that's jefferson and that's also the chase drafter but i think when we look through the rest of the adp sean players as you would expect that is the players who have gone off the board in slightly different orders jackson is at the seven we get kelsey herbert lawrence chase and mccaffrey so as you would expect through 12 picks with the order just slightly different and i guess that's always part of the i guess you know your your preference your taste and those first rounds as you who, do, who you go for but in Superflex, it's always that dilemma of are you going for the quarterback are you in a position to get one of the elite ones or are you going to potentially take one of those guys who you know maybe aren't going to be at the same level it's a real difficult choice then i think for you know for example the drafter once you get into that you know nine range where both justin jefferson and travis kelsey are off the board justin herbert becomes the pick maybe that's a spot where you can 
take Jamar Chase, you know, at the wide receiver position. But I think everything playing out in round one, kind of at the end of round one, as you'd expect, but some interesting uh, delineations along the way for which players were selected, including us taking Joe Burrow, which at the time we had the dilemma between Burrow or Jackson. Our conversation before the draft was between Fields and Jackson. Fields goes where you would expect Burrow to go. And I think that made for interesting movement while we were on the clock. And we get some very different choices from drafters in the back half of the round in terms of how they want to approach being out of position for quarterbacks. You have the drafter in nine, go with Herbert, and then take a couple of receivers, go back with Jared Goff and Derek Carr, who fit with the receivers from rounds two and three. It's Justin Herbert without any of the top chargers options which i think is a a very fine way to play it especially if you have these other two qbs stacked up but it underlines one of the other difficulties in superflex when you're going to be drafting a lot of quarterbacks early that takes away from some of those slots where you're hitting these elite wide receivers who in a normal best ball draft you're going to have more options for those receivers they're going to fall in a different way. It's going to make the stacking a little bit more complicated. It doesn't mean that you can't do it, but you're going to be looking at different types of decisions early on as you try and get those QBs with the receivers. Then at a 10, we get, I think, a really interesting choice and a very high ceiling choice where you have Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson in rounds one and two. Those two quarterbacks, I think, have the really high ceilings of anyone who is left. And so if you get in that situation where you don't have a top six pick that and you do still want to be qb heavy that's the way to play it you're not going to always be able to do it their adps are 11 and 13 and so in a lot of drafts watson won't come back but in this one where he does that i think is a very provocative choice and then the other interesting thing here looking at the early rounds is that we only have two drafters who go qb qb and we had mentioned that in the strategy pre-draft episode where qb qb and in many cases sticking with two qbs had been extremely successful in 2021 but it was extremely unsuccessful in 2022 i think what we're seeing here is drafters reacting to the dynamic where after that first wave of qbs there's a pretty substantial tier break and so if you're talking about guys who are more like window qbs in a normal format you're going to be reluctant to draft them in round two it's interesting because Tua is frequently a round nine round 10 pick in a normal format and yet he goes here to the drafter who took justin fields but Tua probably the most undervalued guy so i like that selection even though his adp is at the 302 the names that we see falling who do have second round adps but want much later here are dak prescott kirk cousins daniel jones i think that that makes sense And I like the way the drafters have done it here, especially Prescott is interesting if you don't have C.D. Lamb because he's probably not going to have a ton of rushing value. Now, when he falls deep into the third, which he did, then that makes for a very strong selection as well. So it's the Lamar Jackson team who's able to take him in round three as opposed to taking him in round two he almost got back to the cd lamb drafter which would have been interesting to see uh, that probably would have been a no-brainer pick because that team started kelsey lamb i'm sure steph there at eight was really hoping 
the Prescott wouldn't be taken. When you look at the full first three rounds, then Cousins, the last pick in round three. So we have a handful of quarterbacks that go off the board, but drafters in general are a little bit skeptical. And I think that that fits. So Colin, one of the things that I mentioned in the strategy show was that the QB tactics had been very different across really all three of the seasons that we have FFPC running this contest or a similar version of this contest. And the early tactics have been inconsistent, but the one thing that worked very well in 2021 and then worked extremely well in 2022 is to take an anchor QB, someone in rounds one or two, and then wait until after round seven. And so then you're getting pushed back into that, say, QB 26 plus range. Now, again, the QBs fell a little bit in this draft, so you're going to have a chance to select some other names potentially. But I really like that in most cases. Again, you're going to be willing to move off of the structure if the right guy is there. We never want to be so inflexible. We don't take a really good value because there are then other things you can do right? You're, you're prepared to take the values and move your structure around to make that work. But if the value isn't there, I think that's a very straightforward way to do it. And Colm, you had mentioned our team to get to us for a moment here. I was surprised that names like Howell and Ritter were available to us. Obviously we get sniped on a handful of guys that we really like, but there were jokes about, you know, where Howell would go. We were able to select him in the middle of the eighth so we have the anchor QB, and then we get two QBs and Howell and Ritter, both of them with receivers that we had drafted in Dotson and Pitts. We were able to get Higgins to go with Burrow. Again here, one of the big advantages we had in this draft is that we were right in the middle. And so we were able to put some of those elements together without having to reach. Not everybody in the draft was in as good a position. And so some of the drafters who maybe their teams, I wouldn't even say are weaker, but are, are more unusual from a structure perspective. We just have to understand that they didn't get the same opportunity that we got. I do feel very good about what we were able to do. Yeah, and we will save our team for a little bit later in the show, I think, and, and fall. But you mentioned some of the differences there, some of the quarterbacks falling. A lot of those guys that fell were some of the veterans, like an Aaron Rodgers, for example, You know, in the tier, I guess, above the, the Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter tier. They lasted a little bit. The likes of the guys that usually go in the second round lasted a little bit. I do think based on you know us having a strategy show that came out prior to this draft being released and people knowing some of the information as we talk through it, we've done these drafts for a multitude of years. I do think that that case of you know only two teams in the first two rounds going quarterback, quarterback, I think you know you could be in drafts like this that we're going to see Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins all go in the second round. We're going to see five or six teams go quarterback, quarterback to start. So I do think that that may have changed things here a little bit. But there is a couple of names, you know, that it just at the ADPs they're going at, the one thing that stands out for me is just the players that you are bypassing. And this is something that we talk about time and time again, whether it's in Superflex or whether it's in, um, you know, standard formats where you're starting one QB in baseball. But some of the names that are getting pushed up, and even in these situations where they have slid down a round or two, the other options that you are giving up at that point are, are so much in terms of the equity that you're investing at those to, to chase kind of that uh, secondary quarterback in most instances in this draft is where I find the biggest challenge. And something, Sean, that you have talked about for a long time, and you mentioned with how some of the teams here at the back of the draft have gone, 
is when you are out of that range so you don't get that elite quarterback what do you do and trying to chase that position a little bit like people may try and chase the running back position when you're at the back of a tier for example um i think that can really be a struggle here not many teams again done it in this draft because they've avoided quarterback in the second round in most instances and they've also looked at the competition they're drafting with and think there's probably going to be a wide receiver avalanche here that was something that we talked about in the second round because we took jonathan taylor at that point you know there's a there's challenging conversations when you think we might get wiped out here and this draft being in the middle did play out quite well for us when you're at maybe the 11 slot or the two slot and you're having your draft over and back it can be very hard to get those guys coming back to you and like there's a couple of picks throughout this draft that we talked about you know do we take them here or do we wait and luckily enough we ended up getting both guys because being in the middle they have made it back to us so that did present some benefits to us and it's not often sean we're drafting from the middle of the rounds we're usually at one side or the other so that was an interesting experience all the same we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Looking, Sean, I guess, at our team when we go through it, it is Joe Burrow, it's Jonathan Taylor, it's T. Higgins, Ramondre Stevenson, Kyle Pitts, Chris Godwin, Jahan Dodson, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Elijah Moore, Rash- uh, Rashad Penny, Greg Dulcich. Then we move into Sky Moore, Taquan Thornton, Rashawn Johnson, Wendell Robinson, Zach Evans, Hunter Henry, Abanakanda, and Deuce Vaughn to finish things off. When we were running through this, we start off and we get the anchor quarterback, as you mentioned. We had talked about trying to, you know, our, our preferred strategy here was to get one quarterback one running back one wide receiver in those opening three rounds we get jonathan taylor we get t higgins then it's a case though that we do and this can put you into a challenge at some points we talked recently on a show about can you you know have an elite quarterback and then have a hyper fragile start to your draft now this is obviously super flex so not quite the same but when you're into the fifth round you have two running backs and taylor and stevenson you have kyle pitts and t higgins your draft can sometimes feel like it gets away from you at that point based on the lack of wide receivers in this format though it isn't an additional flex spot it is just one of the flexes can be used as a super flex so the additional wide receivers aren't as valuable maybe in this format so we were fortunate enough sean to get chris godwin dotson after that then to pair dotson with howell we already had pitts we paired him with higgins you mentioned already t higgins and joe burrow so a couple of stacks in there a couple of runbacks for those playoff contests and then as we tend to do finishing out the draft with some of those favorite kind of potential zero rb candidates so we do get 
from round 15 onwards four wider or four running back selections a tight end and a wide receiver in there so as this draft played out i was enjoying how things were going but as it finished up and we had talked about doing this recap immediately after it but the further we've gone away each day that has passed and i look at this draft board i'm kind of i like more and more what we were able to achieve here most of the pretty much we missed out in a couple of players as you mentioned that we were sniped on but most of the goals we set out to achieve we were able to achieve in this this particular draft we were and you mentioned the triple anchor i think that that part is so valuable in this format where the superflex ffpc tournament is a balanced type of format which is a little unusual right you work through our workshops for so many other formats from the past you pull up the win the flex tool it's going to push you to address the flex in a certain way and the structure is going to be tilted in that direction you're going to come back perhaps with a zero rb look late but this one is so much the triple anchor and i like being able to get that mix early it's again an advantage of being in a draft slot that allows that to happen we look at other teams maybe accomplishing that you look at the work outing eric there out of the 101 and you get hertz with wilson and waddle and then josh jacobs i think josh jacobs still counts as an anchor rb there the same thing for touch of green out of two where you have the two qbs in mahomes and jones but you have the anchors in aj brown and nick chubb you don't get that out of four necessarily we could potentially consider let's consider jameer gibbs there i think that he was one of the names who was undervalued in this particular draft we'll count that one as well but five becomes a little bit trickier when you go qb qb and then mark andrews because of the mini avalanche you end up then with a couple of jacksonville jaguars on that particular team at receiver that makes that a little bit more difficult out of out of seven we have a couple of qbs with Bijan and debo so your question is whether or not debo is an anchor receiver at this juncture he's wide receiver 17 in this particular draft steph out of eight goes with kelsey lamb and then a couple of qbs walker the pick there at running back 13 he's an interesting controversial name we don't have an anchor running back for michael out of nine we don't have an anchor wide receiver out of 10 amari cooper someone that we have a little bit further down there patty goes with a really fun build out of 11 we get the zero rb and again 11 is going to provide some very different challenges you mentioned the detours you can take when you have that to make sure you're not chasing points this is really fun we get jamar chase tyree kill Devonte smith dk metcalf all together then you get jk dobbins one of our favorite sort of sleeper slash breakout slash post hype you can put all of the fun name tags on dobbins he fits there so you have that running back upside and this is a zero qb ish team where you have russell wilson you have bryce young and then a little bit of a bet on trey lance either with the 49ers or we could still see some kind of movement there so that's a three QB team where you're waiting. And then out of 12, the question, Kirk Cousins, not really an anchor QB, but the right choice, right? So you get the Christian McCaffrey Cooper Cup start. When you have the best running back and you have 
I mean, arguably the best receiver. You look at Cup even last year and what he was doing. His peripherals had fallen off quite a bit. The Rams' offense was far less dynamic, and yet his scoring level is still extremely high. If you can start McCaffrey, Cup, it frees you up to do so many other things. And then if you hit with your quarterback picks, you're in great shape. This is a Cousins-Stafford-Murray team. And then you get Kyle Trask at the very end. Kyle Trask could be this year's Geno Smith. So that's a savvy selection in the final round for a team that wasn't going to be able to get great quarterback player, at least high-end picks at the quarterback position. We mentioned that the drafters in this league did a very nice job of adjusting to where they were. I think when you look at how each individual draft was approached in the early rounds, you see that very clearly. You know, when we look as well, for example, our team, what a goal going in is if we can get that elite quarterback, as we would call it, then we get the the two quarterbacks that little bit later and kind of the secondary quarterback window. Really happy with how that went. But there's some of these teams, you know, four quarterback builds, for example. And obviously it's super flex. Quarterbacks last year got hurt. Having more quarterbacks is going to have give you more outs for that. But it's also taken up more of your potential starting lineup spots when it comes to throughout the entire season throughout the bye weeks having those extra darts at wide receiver running back tight end i think are, are much more beneficial than having that fourth quarterback how do you feel sean on the the four quarterback bills for example that team out of 12 is is cousin stafford murray trask the team out of one is hurts purdy garoppolo and mike white and again something you talked about during the draft is there is those picks in the last couple of rounds which aren't throwaway picks. I think the Trask one could be very, very smart. Mike White, I think, is a little bit more challenging. I think the likes of Jacoby Brissett in the 18th round, although we have made the bet on, on Sam Howell, could be a very, very interesting selection at that point. There is no other quarterbacks that go outside of the 12th round. So no quarterbacks drafted between rounds 13 and rounds 18 in this draft. So I think there is some opportunities um, above that how do you feel about the the four quarterback builds is there a possibility for them to be successful most teams here going with the the three qbs and and you know a lot a lot in those additional draft spots elsewhere i like to see the balance that gives you upside without having too much of what your roster represents at the qb position so i had mentioned out of nine that we have a team with Herbert and then Goff Carr. And I like Carr and those two QBs both go with receivers who were already drafted. So you have that locked in and yet three QBs in the first five rounds, especially when you're really not getting the highest end guys. I think that that limits you for what you can do with the other positions to have the necessary upside. If you're going to take a couple of QBs in the first five rounds, I really want those to be guys that you think are going to hit and win you the tournament and not necessarily need to pay for a third one when you make your first quarterback selection in round six like we had out of 11 then tacking on the third qb makes sense now this one is is tough right because trey lance is the third qb the upside for lance is extreme it does seem like a narrower path type of pick in that it seems extremely unlikely at least right now and these things can change quickly, and that's the, the gamble being made. But it doesn't seem like Lance is probably going to play many snaps. When you are looking at that in round 12... Uh, and pairing it with Bryce Young, who 
you know, coming in as a rookie could like there are two players who the the upside is huge, but the range of outcomes you're probably looking that it, both of them will underperform maybe what the expectation has been. I was a little surprised maybe that Young went ahead of Howell and Jordan Love in this draft since we're relatively high on those players and relatively low on Young, but. Young does have an ADP, obviously quite a bit ahead of Howell. It does come after the ADP for Jordan Love. The problem or the concern that I have with Young is not about him. He seems like he's going to be a star. But when does that happen? He's probably not going to add a lot of rushing. And you look at how you would play him with other guys. This team has no talent at receiver. And so... When you're looking at how they're going to approach the game, you would expect them to try and manage it. You'd expect it to go through Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard. But the selections there do make sense. And that this team does select Mingo, does select Chark. I think especially Chark at wide receiver 82 is a fantastic pick. So the team is very internally consistent. I think that that makes sense. For me, the split at QB, and this is hard because we talked throughout the draft about playing chicken. But rounds eight and nine, you are giving up good players when you select quarterbacks there. We felt like the the real cut was right before our selection in the ninth, which allowed us to go. We're kind of pushed us in the direction of going Ritter as opposed to taking a non-QB position. That was Quentin Johnson. <laughs> and that was Quentin Johnson who went one spot ahead of us there. I think there's a big break between round 10 and round 11 here in that if you waited until around 10 and even the 10 11 turn then i think you were a big winner if you waited beyond that then you've added quite a bit of additional risk and the upside also probably falls off right so the thing that we had happen here is that brock purdy falls to the 10 11 turn he has an adp in this tournament in the early seventh so that's going to be one of the best value picks we didn't necessarily think that he was going to get to that point when Mac Jones, Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo all fell through our pick in round 10. We had kind of wished that we had waited. That would have been a way to have played that. And yet the guy that we selected, Elijah Moore, I'll just throw in a little plug right here. I have an article out on the site. You had mentioned that there'd been some pushback in the comments about <laughs> Elijah Moore versus Amari Cooper. I wanted to go ahead and make the full evidence-based evaluation of that, explain why I'm on more, why I think that he is a potential league winner for this season. That article is out on the site. If you're interested in that, make sure you check it out. But by gambling, the QBs were going to fall back through. Donnie Hula bowling in the third pick. Obviously, we love that name. That's been a team name I've used for a lot of my fantasy teams in the old days, the perfect Big Lebowski reference there. That drafter has been with us in so many of these drafts. We appreciate that so much. That was the team that went Jefferson, Eckler, Hall, Allen, Judy, JSN. So right there, you're looking at that is a tournament winning group at running back and wide receiver. They take the gamble. They wait on Pickett, who was one of our favorites. They get the value on Jordan Love in round eight. So you have a guy who has an ADP of the 501 in round eight. And then you get Mac Jones at the 10-10. His ADP is in the eighth round. So you're getting multiple round discounts on 
several of our favorite players. The gamble there to go with James Cook in nine, to have Mac Jones come back in 10, I mean, that may be where this entire draft turned. I think you have to love how that worked out. If you're going to wait at QB, you have to have the guts to, number one, believe that it's going to work and that you're going to be able to get your guy. And if it doesn't happen, to be okay with having entered the tournament, taking the risk and having not paid off. But then also to get those values there to work through, to game it out and to know what could happen in this draft. And you could see QBs falling early. And once that starts to happen, I think that those picks were so savvy there. You also get that same thing out of the 101, where that's a Jalen Hurts team, but then you have eight consecutive selections at wide receiver and running back. Eric then takes Purdy and Garoppolo at the 10-11 turn. I think that the tier break and what you have to be looking at when you're doing these FFPC Superflex drafts is how can I get in as Garoppolo is my QB3? And really only take the third QB if you built it so that your QB2 and QB3 were late. Otherwise, I kind of think you have to stick with two. If you pay up for the second QB, I think you've got to be good with that. But once you get beyond Jimmy Garoppolo, you're looking at Baker Mayfield, you're looking at Ryan Tannehill, and then you're looking at guys who probably won't play. And so Mayfield and Tannehill, they're in QB battles. If they win, they have very low upside. If you were talking about rounds 13 and 14, I think it would be a little bit different. In rounds 11, it's tough. It's not that it couldn't work. And especially if it's your QB three, then I mean that's reasonable. And yet that's probably not the direction I'm going to prefer to go in most of the drafts. So Garoppolo there, QB 30, that's something to really keep an eye on as you start to make your move in these FFPC drafts. There's a couple of ways I think, Sean, you can play quarterback. You mentioned there, you know, having those two quarterbacks early, either in the first two rounds or the first three rounds, and then holding off at that position, being comfortable with where you're at. I think that's one way to play it. I think the way we did it then with the kind of a later anchor quarterback, then getting two other guys later, you could potentially do that with two quarterbacks as well. But I think trying to open up those paths to, to victory, having the third quarterback like we did here with Ritter is the way to play it the other way is like that team in three has done and i know we talked about how some of the adps will have shifted in this versus what may be standard for this tournament format but with those guys going it might be a case that you know jackson smith and jigba who goes in the sixth round here to the team in third goes in the you know seventh or eighth round you know the the players can probably be combined in the same way but just in different round order based on wide receivers obviously being pushed up in this quarterback sliding a little bit and you mentioned you could see the quarterback position sliding early in this draft with the likes of Cousins, with Prescott. You know, Even then, we're looking at Aaron Rodgers. He was somebody who was sliding for a considerable amount of time. But I really think that in this particular draft, it was round 7 through 9. You mentioned there's a couple of names there in 10-11. But I do think you know Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Mac Jones, Jordan Love, Kenny Pickett, even maybe a Kyler Murray would add into that there. I think those are the guys that you... You know, if you're not going for that elite quarterback, that's the tier where you really have to get a minimum kind of of two guys out of out of that range. But that's not the question I'm setting you up for, Sean. The last one we're going to look at here is uh, tight end. A lot of drafters in the comments while we were drafting in the chat room talking about some of the challenges at the tight end position. Obviously, Kelsey goes in round one, Mark Andrews round three. Then we get Kittle and Hawkinson in round four but after that then it is kyle pitts dallas goddard back to back round five the next pick then between round five and 
all the way down then to round 10. There is only four tight ends drafted in that range. There is a huge gap then. There's kind of a window where we're seeing a lot of white tight ends go. But in that window, Sean, there's a lot of questionable names that we're not necessarily targeting. A lot of the drafters mentioned about you know trying to push tight end as far as they could, and then they got a little bit caught out at the position. There is a lot of challenges that come in a tight end premium format when you're waiting on tight end. But I think, again, we also waited a little bit the one we missed out on was Mike Kosicki. We took Taekwon Thornton. Mike Kosicki went in the next pick. We ended up taking Hunter Henry a little bit later in the draft. That was uh, in the 18th round. But I do think getting one of those elite guys, and for us, Kyle Pitts is, is in that territory, and then you know somebody who's kind of that breakout candidate and a Dulcich, even the likes of a Sam Laporta, those sort of guys, Cole Komet potentially, and then having that, that shot later. Now, we would have ideally had for example, Trey McBride potentially as that third tight end, you know, have some of those younger guys in there. But um, how how should people be playing tight end in this format? The tight end is fascinating because FFPC is a an extremely tight end heavy format. And when you have 20 rounds as opposed to 18, you're going to have a couple of more options to fill out all of the different spots late which is a lot of fun. But that also means that the number of tight ends on your roster can increase by one as well. The Roster Construction Explorer tells us that the highest end results have actually been delivered by four tight end teams. And we do see a variety of drafters go to that extent in this particular draft. We have a a five tight end team, multiple four tight end teams, and we have a five tight end team we have multiple four tight end teams and then every other team went with at least three except for one this again is a dynamic where we're looking at do you pay up early if you don't how does that affect what you want to do later one of the things that we talk a lot about for the underdog drafts is that tight ends are very inexpensive and there are a lot of late round options who have a lot of upside this year and so in that particular format where you have the half PPR and the tight end is very poor option for the flex position, you can address your tight end position with three late guys. Here, it's much more difficult. And so what we're really looking at is can we get an elite tight end to fit in without damaging the rest of the bill too much? Because I mean, obviously we only get one pick every round. And when you're trying to get to the three QBs, that's going to limit already what you can do with the other positions. But if you can, I like to have, we talked about the triple anchor. Quadruple is even a little bit better. If you have the guy fall to you in the right spot and you like them, you think about what happened last year with TJ Hawkinson carrying our team through the previous season. It was a Mark Andrews who carried teams through in tight end premium FFPC. You see the tight ends do a lot of damage throughout the regular season. And then in addition, have that, trump card in the fantasy playoffs in other formats it's really a little bit more a fantasy playoff trump but when you have both elements here if you couldn't work it in then that gives you that little bit more upside so the toughest question we probably had was what do we do in round five where we like kenneth walker we like travis Etienne, we like dobbins there are some receivers you could potentially hit on but kyle pitts even after what happened last season and one of the things now is you're just getting a very different price And so even if you think that those risks are still there, and obviously some of the risks are still there, but if you still believe in pits, 
his peripherals last year from a volume perspective on like a per route basis were insane. I, again, if they're going to neutralize those through other things they do, then it becomes less relevant for him than almost any other player. There's still plenty of positive notes there. But if you see him as a bounce back play at this price because of the trauma that last year <laughs> created for everyone, then you want to be in on this range Again, because we were in the middle, we had the perfect option. So I like the fact that we took Pitts. I think that Dallas Goddard is a fantastic selection. He went one spot after us. Those are really be the, kind of the two guys I would be looking at as the primary options in this because the, the top four guys, I think, create some problems price-wise. The trade-off is so significant that I think they have to hit in a massive way, whereas Pitts and Goddard come in right in a range where if they can be good, I think you'd be satisfied. What you're giving up is a little bit different. But also, once you have that early tight end, then it gives you a little bit more flexibility, but it doesn't give you complete flexibility. Because, Colin, what we would have liked to have done, Colin, what we would have liked to have done would have been to select a fourth tight end and have four really good options here. Probably we're looking a little bit more at a three tight end build after we select Pitts early. But as you mentioned, we got Dulcich. We loved that price. That was in the middle of 12. I think that that then in some ways starts a tight end run or is at the end of a tier. And so, again, because we were in the middle, we had so many end of tier type of situations that we were able to benefit from. You mentioned the way that this draft has been a little bit different. Tight end 13 goes in 10 in most leagues, we had only 10 tight ends drafted in the first 10 rounds. Then you get into 11, and with ours, you have Higby, Laporta, Everett, Schultz come back in 12. You get five more in Aconquo, Kincaid, Dulcich, Komet, and Johnson. The 12-13 is actually a turn where both picks are tight ends in Johnson and Mayer. And then once Mayer is gone, it gets a little bit complicated. But I think the real next tier break is at the beginning of 14 where we see Ur Smith go at the 1311 and then Trey McBride go at the 1401 McBride is somebody that we just have much 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 higher in our rankings than where his ADP is and he looks like a reach I mean he is a reach compared to his ADP which in this format is at the 1503 but I think this actually, because it's a Rotoviz-centric draft, is probably one of the best value picks in the entire draft. I would have expected McBride to be gone at that point. I think that we should have selected him instead of Sky Moore at the 1306. Once he was gone, it becomes very tough. But because of the format, you're going to still have people draft. So he was tight end 22, 37, sorry, 38 tight ends go in this draft. So you have 16 additional tight ends after mcbride i would argue that most of those are at least borderline throwaway picks now there are some names who could jump up and give you some big performances a Taysom hill could do that musgrave has been generating some buzz in green bay woods would be the guy if anthony richardson has any success passing there with the colts we selected hunter henry who's probably a little bit of an undervalued name or at least we would make that argument that's why we made that pick Noah Fant is someone who, if one of the receivers gets hurt or they just decide to use him before they lose control there, he could be a name. But I mean, I think you probably prefer Fant 
a little bit later. It is around ADP. But I think that the board really illustrates how difficult it is to get to your tight end picks once round 14 is over. And so I would encourage drafters to really be looking at that as the other big element along with QB. How do you do QB, but then how do you make sure you have tight end accomplished before these runs push you onto picks that when you look back at your 20-man roster, you feel like that's a roster spot I'm not going to get back, and I just I don't think I'm going to score that many points there. That is awesome. It's a fun draft, fun conversation to run back through it. Hopefully it has been beneficial to those listening in. We will have one of the $125 tournaments drafted and it will be coming out over the next couple of weeks. I am on a vacation to Toronto, Canada. I've never been to Canada, so that will be coming out while we're away in the next week or so. So hopefully you'll enjoy listening in to that. That is going to close us out for today's episode. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter. Add over to Marland. My co-host, as always, is Sean Siegel. Check out Sean's work up on rotaviz.com. And until next time, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.